You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Stu Goldsmith here. Welcome to the show. Today I'm talking to Josh Johnson, who is all over the place at the moment. Now, unusually for me, uh, this is an American comic who doesn't have much of a toehold in the UK at present. Huge on YouTube. Of course, we can all access that. But he's someone that I am really excited to bring to you. I get lots of speculative emails from PR people of comics in the US. And... uh, I I kind of try and look at all of them if I have the time, but uh, this one in particular stood out because just a cup. Not only is um, is Josh doing something very conceptual and interesting with his new release, his mixtape, um, which is a combination of uh, original non comic music and bits of his stand up. We'll talk a lot about that and the the thinking behind it and the the creation and collaboration involved. Um, not only is he doing that, but just you've just got to listen to it. Just give him two minutes on Spotify or YouTube, and he is just one of those comics who, as we'll talk about, has like all of the air is pressed out of his material. There is nothing in there that isn't an original premise, brilliantly delivered, that speaks volumes about who he is as a person. It's just great. So this is Josh Johnson. I wasn't familiar with him before, and this is quite an unusual interview uh, for me. I've never seen him live, and that almost never happens when I have people on the show. Um, But I think it turned into something really lovely, very insightful, very thoughtful. This is Josh Johnson. Welcome to the show, Josh. This is quite an unusual one for me because I've never seen you live. I don't think I don't know that I've ever have I ever had a guest on the show that I haven't seen live before. I'm only familiar with you through your YouTube presence for your album on on Spotify, and you've got loads of stuff coming out shortly. Like there's two, so I was a bit confused, kind of PR wise. What are the two big thrusts of what you've got coming out right now? Yeah, so my my mixtape comes out uh, on the 11th, and then my Comedy Central special airs on the 18th. Okay. Cool. And how are you feeling about both of those things? Are you excited or are you calm because you know they're in the can and they're as good as they can be? How do you feel about it? Yeah, I I do feel good. It takes a lot for me to feel good, in all honesty. Like I like I I worry a lot and I stress a lot and stuff. So it having something done and knowing that other people have seen and heard it and like it as well is like a nice little preview for the rest of the world. Cause I never expect everyone to like everything I do. Yeah. Like I, I, I take, uh, I take 
I'd like to believe I take most things in stride because you, no matter how funny you feel like you are or, you know, um, relatable or universal, some, you're not going to be for someone. Mm-hmm. And especially with the mixtape, it's a, it's the first thing that I'm doing that's as, as different as it is. Uh, I know yeah. that might sound like a silly sentence to put together, but that that's, you know, usually when you see music and comedy put together, the music is also funny. Yeah. And so to have, you know, uh, comedy that is genuine and the funniest stuff that I was writing at the time and then put it together with music that I collaborate with all these artists on that's actually sort of the summation of the tracks that come before it, mm-hmm. but they're serious, I, I think is interesting and I think people will vibe with it, but I also am like, I get it if you don't like it because I, <laughs> I'm, I'm just a person like I, I, and it's also my first time. It's my first time being involved in music in any way. And so, you know, it's uh practice makes perfect. And this is the first even attempt at practice. So, okay. Okay. And that's, that's quite public as well. It's like a big release that you're promoting. And so it's like, have you, have you done any kind of like, well, so when you say it's the first attempt, have you done any sort of like collaboration with musicians before on stuff that you didn't release? Or is this like, let's try it once and get it out there and see what happens? No, this is like the first try and the first, it's, yeah, it's the first of everything. And I, and the thing is too, is that, you know how, okay, the, the best way I can describe it is if let's say you're in the car with some friends and there's a friend that you've always had a crush on, then you can you can actually see an accident about to happen. Like you see that you're about to get sideswiped by another car, and so you just turn to that friend and been like, I've always been in love with you because you think you're <laughs> gonna die. That is how 2020 felt. Like I didn't even get COVID, but I'm just not I don't have the strongest immune system. So what I heard it was like airborne. <laughs> I was like, guys, that's me. This is it. This is it. And I've always wanted to work on a project like this. And so I just I just started to work on it and just started to do it because I was like, if I die, I don't want to have died without even attempting this thing that I've always wanted to do, which is like working with musicians, co-writing songs, learning about producing and then putting comedy on 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 with it. Okay, and just to be clear, that's a lovely analogy. To be clear, do you perform on the songs or is your involvement collaborative in terms of the making of the songs? It's only collaborative in terms of the making of the songs. I'm so like this is this has been the the issue since the first release of of the first single yeah. is that because people only know me from stand up mm-hmm. and I'm raising my profile at the same time as the artist that I'm working with. You know, like we we don't really have people that are like certifiably famous on the mixtape mm-hmm. or anything. As a result there's been confusion and I have to keep correcting people that like, guys, that's not me. Yeah. 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 Okay. (laughs) So, so then like, and, and I understand certain feelings come with that because then people are like a little disappointed or like, or they're like, then why is it on your mixtape? It's like, it's on my mixtape because we co-wrote the song and it sums up the last two jokes. And so I understand that it's, it's a bit to wrap a person's head around. And I think that until I, release like two more or something yeah i don't know if it'll be recognizable as something that i do yeah okay yeah okay because you're sort of you're it's a weird thing you're like you're not quite inventing a thing but at the same time no one's done it before has anyone has anyone done it before 
to my knowledge, no one has done it like this. So obviously in the 90s, there was lots of hip hop that had skits in it. Sure. Um, and then there's also been some some comedy albums with musical interludes. Mm-hmm. But as far as like fully produced songs going along with, you know, snippets of and, and whole jokes from a live set. I have personally not seen. I I won't claim because you never know. And then people, people will be like, "You forgot about this yeah, person. Yeah. They blazed the way." And it's like, no, I I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. I genuinely don't know of anyone doing what I'm doing. Um, and that's not to say I'm not looking. You know, if someone even hears hears my thing and messages me about someone doing something similar, then hey, I'm I'm all ears. Um, but I I also think that that's part of why it's a bit confusing for people is because I think the proof is right there. It's like the fact that it's so much for a person to wrap their head around while being simple means that it hasn't been done in a big way before. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. And is there some kind of like the application of your creativity? Are there things that you would naturally lean towards like in comedy, maybe because the thing about your, your stand up is it's just clean as a whistle. It's so lean. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I don't mean clean in the sense oh, of like non, very... non swearing, although I think it is also pretty no, clean, no. but it's, it's, that, that's very kind. It's just so lean. Do you know what I mean? It has that quality that I often, I think I heard someone, I can't remember. I interviewed some American comic and they talked about doing the stuff in the clubs to press all the air out of it. And there's no air mm. in your stuff. It's like joke, joke, angle, 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 joke, joke, tag, 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 just shoom, clean as a whistle. Is oh, what I mean. thanks, yeah, man. no, you're welcome. I yeah. love it. It's great. Um, so with that in mind, are there things like, do you need to be, do you need to kind of loosen off the desire to get to the, get to the joke faster when you're writing a song? I think so because the, out of all the arts, out of all the ones that exist, um, music and dance are the only two where every moment matters. Every other art, you're trying to get to the end or, your, or a specific point or, or whatever. Like if you paint, it's about the painting. It's yeah. not, like like nobody really cares about like what brushstroke thirty four looks like. Okay. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And if you're and if you're um, you know even making a film, it's like to a certain degree every every part of it matters but it's still about like oh if you have a trash ending then people are gonna think it's a trash film sure yeah so that's certainly true of jokes (laughs) like it doesn't matter how good the build-up is right (laughs) yeah exactly so then even with jokes it's like you're building this economy of words to get to the joke as soon as possible and sometimes and it's something that working on music has actually taught me is that a little bit of uh a little bit of air is actually better sometimes because it gives people a chance to catch up with you if you're talking about something that's like completely unorthodox Mm -hmm. so you know for most jokes it's like yes this thing happened and this was my reaction or this thing happened and i noticed this but especially when you're telling a story sometimes for a story to be better you have to leave in a little bit of cushioning between like why well why would you do this and then you're answering that question i find that the best storytelling it, it, out of anything I've ever watched are people who can answer a question right as you have it in your mind. So then, you know, if you're telling a story about, uh, you know, locking yourself out of your apartment and then you're like, I know what you're thinking. Why would I just not have a spare key under the mat? I used to have a spare key, but then someone used it to break in because they saw me. But like, like whenever people tell stories like that, I find they're the, the most engaging and like, 
you that now people are on a ride with you because they feel like they're in the car with you as you're driving through the story. Yes. And and music is one of those things that's like every single moment matters. It's like it doesn't matter. You may not even get to the end of a song if a beginning of a song is trash. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And so that that shaped a lot of what I was even trying to write when I was collaborating on these songs, because obviously I'm working with all of these talented people and I'm like, I'm piggybacking off of them. Like they're like, they're the ones that are leading the way musically. And then I'm just trying to keep up and, and write things that don't sound dumb. And you know, like that, 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 um, that complement their voice and the structure of the melody that they've also created or we've created together. And so for the most part, I found that um, the best example is the joke that comes right before the fourth music track. In that joke, I talk about how this this woman left me, right? And I talk about how getting in getting left, like any breakup can hurt. But I've been broken up with on two different occasions where the next time I saw the person that broke up with me, they were with someone who was like, objectively better than me (laughs) and then someone who was objectively worse than me and i can't tell you which one is worse like they're both bad feelings but oh i cannot i cannot explain to you because the the one that's good i'm like oh i'll never be that good and the one that's bad i'm like you left me for him sure and then working on the song that comes after that joke it was like all right what sort of um what sort of sums up the level of like loneliness and the level of uh, like the level of desperation that is in that joke, but that joke's all about getting laughs. So how do I, how do I transfer all of those ideas to something that doesn't have to have laughs, but still marries the two ideas together? Like basically with that comedy, with that music being about the same thing, now you've, you've gone 360 on an idea because a lot of times with jokes, no matter how dark you get or sad you get, you're supposed to pull yourself back up out of it. You're supposed to, you know, you dig a hole to get out of it and show how impressive you are getting out of holes. Whereas with music, you can just sit in that hole and be just as appreciated for the artistry of digging that hole as you are as a comedian for getting out of it. But I think that in some situations, there's no getting out of it. It's like if something bad happened to you, you can pull humor out of it, but the bad things still happen. And I think that the music helps to to put a button on that idea and and make it complete. So I mean that's absolutely fascinating. What what is the when you're coming up with the premise for a joke? What's the difference between coming up with a premise for a song? Or like how do you which and which way round did you do it? With that with that example, which I think is a great example, did you did you start off going, okay, there's this bit I have about the feeling of being dumped and the, what I'm pulling out of it, the funny is, is I'm trying to crack into the space in between me not understanding. That's it. It's like you're you're looking at the, the wretchedness of mm-hmm. I don't know whether that's better or worse. When yeah. you're dealing with that kind of that premise, trying to find the premise for a song, you're dealing with the emotion of that section, but not the tension between not knowing which is worse. Is that what you mean? Yeah. 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 And, and also I think that when you're working on, so with jokes, people laugh for very few reasons. Like people either laugh out of recognition or sometimes they laugh out of confusion. And then sometimes they laugh as a release of tension. 
So I'm not saying those are the only three reasons that people laugh, but they're the main three. Mm-hmm. Like like you when you see people doing joke, even even set up punchline one liners are releasing tension. Sometimes you're using them to laugh through recognition. That's what a lot of late night uh, monologues are. It's like, here's the thing that we all heard and here's my take on it. Both releases the tension and is a laugh from recognition because it's usually a pop culture or political reference that everyone will get. And and so then even laughing from confusion is sometimes difficult to do because it means that they don't get your point. But, uh, you know, or they don't get why you would do something. But but with music, and it's one of the reasons why I felt like music was so important to incorporate, because a lot of people ask me why I didn't just release two different projects. Mm-hmm. And I think that one, like we were talking about before, one idea, one form marries the other to the overall arc that you're trying to create in 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 the piece. And then the other thing is that, Comedy is very much of the time. So even when there's, you know, obviously there's there's this whole thing now. I don't know how how deep you dive into it, but there, there's this whole thing now, obviously, with like canceling jokes and comedians retroactively for things that were like said in the 80s or something that was like, sure, this sounds very hateful now, but it's only because as a so socially we're conscious enough to have changed our language. Now it's kind of unfair to like, yeah. it's like going up to someone who had like the original iPhone and being like, you broke bastard. <laughs> like, like, it's like, no, that's what they had at the time. I'm not saying it's right, but the, you know, that that comedy is so much of the time that even when something does quote unquote hold up, mm-hmm. right? Even when it's not in any way offensive or can be taken the wrong way, there's still a different way of speaking that people in the seventies and fifties had than what we have. Mm-hmm. So then I've noticed that, you know, even if you watch like old, I mean, listen to old, um, Bob Hope albums or something, it's like his cadence is a little too slow for me personally. And it's like, yeah, but they had time back that like there wasn't this rush to like kill, kill, kill. Like you killed through doing well. You didn't kill through attitude, yeah, you know? Yeah. And and so I find that the other reason that's so important for the music and comedy to be there is that the the comedy, both in subject matter and in tone, is is very much of the time, whereas the music is gonna be timeless because I can write a joke about a a breakup that a lot of people will get now because right now there's a bunch of apps, there's Tinder, there's whatever. Who knows what there's going to be 50 years from now? But a breakup song is eternal. Like a breakup song is the emotion behind those feelings and people will always have those feelings as long as they're having human connection. I, I don't disagree with you, but I do think on that, like part of what's timeless about a song is this selection of the writer is the kind of the deselection of kind of um elements of that story that might be in the moment like a songwriter like if you think of a singer song or some, some person with a guitar doing a solo mm-hmm. song they won't mm-hmm. include details in the lyrics that nail it down to a time like deliberately and similarly yeah. a comedian might and you're very good at this you your stuff is it's kind of aiming for timelessness anyway your stand-up do you know what I mean you're kind mm-hmm. of talking about like if you know like uh, the story about getting mugged do you know what I mean? And you got mm-hmm. you know about wetting yourself and getting mugged and him running away. There's no details in there really that kind of fix it in now as opposed to ten or twenty years ago. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Sure. So like you, so yeah. the, the comic can sort of write for timelessness because that is like you know no matter how good the bit is, if you hear whoever, I mean anyone, 
doing a yeah, bit about yeah. well these crazy apps they have nowadays or you know s- playing snake on your nokia phone or whatever it is you know like yeah. that will that will really trap it in a way that you go oh not not so timeless so i think like do you make an effort to do that do you make an effort to to make sure that it's like i don't i don't ever write jokes about tv shows because i'm just like mm-hmm. oh god because you travel somewhere yeah. else or go it's somewhere it's not going to be long it's not <laughs> going to be long right yeah yeah i, I so basically in almost everything, except the efforts, for the most part, that you'll see this month, I try to do that. I felt very strongly uh, about talking about 2020, specifically the year that we all had, because this was the first truly global event. So it's it's one of the only times in human history that being specific is also being broad. Because we all went through it. We all went through it to different degrees and different countries handled it better and stuff. But like for the next at least five years, if I bring up the pandemic, no matter where I go, no matter what language people speak, they will sort of get what I'm talking about. And that was an opportunity that I felt like I couldn't pass up in my special or the mixtape because, you know, these two things were things that that I felt like I had to put a little bit of voice to because I felt so strongly about everything that was going on. And then, you know, next mixtape or next special, I'm back to, you know, pretty universal broad subject matter. That's, that's like at, at, at an attempt at being timeless. But I felt like for both of these projects, it was, imperative to address something that everybody was going through and there was a universe there was a universal appeal to that in a way that sure everyone's been through a a breakup for the most part but like you said if i mentioned tinder specifically i'm like trapping myself but it felt like if i'm doing a whole set about 2020 and all the things in it that the 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 trap is already set so i might as well lean into it you know yes yeah well that's interesting the trap is already set because like i found it quite inhibiting over the last year to write i've been doing lots of other stuff online podcasting and what have you what i haven't been doing mm. I've, I've i've been at a point in my career where i'm like i'm, I'm happy to accept a break <laughs> do you know what i mean i'll just i'll not write sure. a new hour this year i'll go oh right i'll spend time with my children but I, yeah. Whenever I have tried to write about it, part of what's inhibited me, I suppose, is feeling like, although I agree that we've all gone through it, and I do think that, as you say, it's a very unusual moment in in sort of civilized history, in history. But um, mm-hmm. I think that, like, I've felt even within, if I look at just within the UK, I'm like, okay, so people have had markedly different rides through this pandemic. Like one of the things that's really highlighted for a lot of us, I guess, is the is social inequality, whereby mm-hmm. you've just realized the difference between the pandemic of me, a middle-class person living in a nice place in Britain, and people living mm-hmm. in poverty in Britain or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, anywhere in the world. You sort of, you notice how, how different that is as to, and you might be in a nice middle-class a nice middle-class person, but your loved one is a doctor. And so they've been right at the center of it. So I've been like, I mean, I'm doing a show tonight and part of me, I'm in this trap of having like, I haven't written much new and the stuff I have written that's new. I don't know. I feel like it's sort of in the shadow of the pandemic rather than being specifically about any element of it, because I'm still a bit, I'm very new back to gigging. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and I feel like, um, the danger is that you i don't know what we all feel about it yet do you see what i mean yeah absolutely and and i think that the 
I, I went through the same thing because I was definitely able to get up less last year, even though I was doing Zoom shows and I was doing all these things to piecemeal. I technically only stopped doing comedy for like two months and it was the first two months of the pandemic, like March and April um, of, of lockdown really. And, you know, one thing that I'll say, I guess, about both projects is that I take, I take time in the very beginning to like fully address it. And these jokes may not, they, they may seem timeless since I'm talking about myself, but they may not, but it, it's okay. Then by the middle and the end, I'm not really even talking about it at all, mm. but because I've processed it on the front end, the, the back end stuff, I, I am at least hoping my goal is that it feels a bit more universal because it's not necessarily, okay, I, you know, a good example I guess I'll give you is the first arc of the mixtape is all about love and all about relationships and trying to maintain those and, and the, the steps in them. Like the first music track is, is very rose tinted glasses. And it's like when you just like someone and they can do no wrong for a little while. And then the second music track is about finding out who they really are. And it's like, sometimes that's harrowing. Cause sometimes it's like, Oh, you're hot, but you're like a bad person. This is, this is terrible. And then, you know, the third one is, is losing control of that, of, of, of the dynamic of the relationship in a way that you thought you had such a hold on, like from the first song. So sometimes relationships definitely feel like they're getting away from you. You don't know if you can get back to a person or what the disconnect is, or if you're losing interest, they're losing interest. And then the fourth track, like I mentioned before, is paired with that joke about being left and being like, how much do I want this person back? How much do I want to be with this person? And then the, the funk track, is is basically a, a sort of a retrofitted um, button on, you know, why why can't I be loved the way that I love and mm-hmm. and have it reciprocated and everything. The second arc of the mixtape is all about the the year through the lens of the pandemic. So then, you know, I talk about, and these are, these are also the other difference you'll, you'll hear is that these are distinctly American things and American problems, because I also try to not mention time or place or, or tether myself to time and place in, in all my other standup. But because I was only seeing the pandemic through, you know, an American lens, it's, it's what I put the jokes through. And so, you know, I talk about student loans and medical bills and all this other stuff. And, and then the, the music pairing for that are, um, Negro spirituals with, a with like a modern twist, because that's also something that is, even though slavery wasn't distinctly, you know, fitted to America, the, the, the artistic expression that came out of it was, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't, I, and look, maybe I'm just ignorant. Maybe I just don't know, but I'm not, I'm not aware of any British Negro spirituals that are, that are like still sung today in the way that you can still find someone who, who sings wait at the water, uh, you know, wait in the water at a certain performance or something. Mm -hmm. And so that, that is, basically everything that I felt like I needed to both talk about and express and, and, and having all of that put together makes me very excited. I think that, you know, it's, it's not the longest ride you could be on. Like the mixtape is a little over an hour, but I, I 
am my biggest wish is that all of those ideas are are correctly represented and and people get them off of listening to the mixtape and then as far as the special you know i've i have jokes that that at least put the perspective in there that i don't sound completely tone deaf to what we all went through Mm -hmm. but then i do move on and then i'm like this other thing's been happening i was dealing with this all, all of that stuff. And so, you you know, even even the scope of the special is more about internet and relationship to people digitally than it is about the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But I felt like the only what, the reason I discovered all the things I discovered about social and being uh, sort of a slave to screens was through the pandemic because yeah. then I was in lockdown. What else did I have to do except watch TV or be on the computer or, you know, text people or get on Instagram? So that that's where that was born from. So this is Josh, a great pleasure to talk to him. And, uh, and as I was saying at the top, what an interesting guy. <laughs> it's really satisfying when someone wants to talk as in-depth about their stuff as I do. So I'm really, really pleased to uh, to bring you the rest of this. There is some extra content available at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders, and as well as some extra stuff from this interview with Josh, uh, you can check the show notes for the description of exactly what's in there. Um, there is also, uh, you will get access to the private podcast, which now has got bundles of episodes on it, hundreds of extra bits from every episode that has one, as well as the recent comedian self-help special, how to cope, uh, how comedians cope, I should say, and how to cope if you are a comedian, with me and psychologist Amanda Donnett. Not to mention James Acaster, Nish Kumar, Fern Brady and Alfie Brown all giving of their all in uh, these exclusive insiders-only Zoom Q&As that we record the audio of. And for those insiders that can't make them, they go out on the private feed as well. Loads of reasons to join the Insiders Club at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Not least, you get access to ad-free episodes in perpetuity. Can I promise that? Can I? Pr- should I promise things in perpetuity? I don't think that's sensible. <laughs> I can't guarantee it will stay there for the rest of time. But um, that's kind of the plan, at least. So... That's all of that. You can follow Josh on all the socials. You can find him everywhere. Check the show notes for all the details uh, how to explore what he's up to. The mixtape is uh, available now, as is his new special. And uh, he has done some brilliant, brilliant stuff about the pandemic material that exists in the shadow of the pandemic and stuff that is directly about it. He is really exciting. So let's get back to Josh Johnson. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I think it'll be really fascinating a few years from now to look back at the different products that people came up with post-pandemic and kind of retroactively work out what kind of pandemic they had. Like there's, you know what I mean? Like yeah, I, yeah, I'd yeah, certainly in the yeah. UK, yeah. then you're like, oh, you don't drive. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So you can almost use yeah. that same lens to look back and go, okay, so Josh was alone at home during the pandemic or Comedian X was looking after their relatives or moved back in with their family or something. Yeah. One of the things I think is really interesting is I think the image of the mixtape was the first image I saw of you. And then in re- in mm. discovering I Like You, with your album on Spotify, and more of your stuff online, it's really interesting to me how I've kind of reformed a picture of you as this sort of, like you really lean into the idea of how pathetic you are as a man. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like in a really funny way. Yeah, yeah, like you really yeah, lean yeah, into yeah. like your inability to fight and the fact you get bullied by children and... You know, like all of this stuff, like you, like part of the brand, I guess, is weakness and failing to live up to a standard. And that can become, I mean, you've got some very nuanced stuff about that, about feeling like mm-hmm. not having done the research on being black. Like that stuff yeah. about, yeah, I mean, that's really fu- funny stuff, vulnerable stuff, but with with the perspective of, you know, I can't choke you because I've got arthritis in my thumbs, that kind of thing. That, to see that, I suppose I kind of discovered that newly because from the look of the mixtape and from the fact of the mixtape, you seem pretty cool. Do you know what I mean? You're like, and I say that as a 43-year-old man, (laughs) only a 43-year-old white man can say, you seem pretty cool in exactly that way. But do you know what I mean? Like, for you, is there, is there, um, is there a, a kind of a clash between, or what's the relationship between those two versions of yourself when you're doing stand-up on the mixtape that is, from the perspective of I'm kind of pathetic, but here I am, I've released a mixtape with songs I collaborated on. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that they are just two sides of the same coin. I think two things can be true at, at one time, you know, it's like how, um, you know what? Okay. I'm not comparing myself to these people, but these people are the best example that I can give to answer your question. I'm going to, I'm going to edit out you saying that. So it sounds like you're comparing yourself to these people. Go for it. (laughs) There we go. There we go. So I think that, um, some of my favorite artists and, you know, fighters and, and stuff like that have, uh, an Achilles heel that is, that is so, completely connected to their personality that it's never going to go away so you look at someone like kanye and kanye to me is everything that he says he is he's one of the most important artists of of our time because even when you look at who he's inspired who who people themselves not him not him saying i put you on or whatever people completely independently saying this album is the thing that made me really want to get into music and feel like I could do it. And then that person being Drake, it's like the, the, the influence is undeniable, right? That being said, it, it took that determination and self-belief to, to get him where he was that same 
determination and self-belief is what leads him to not really listen to people. Mm-hmm. And of course, on the front end, he should have listened to people because the heads of the heads of music labels were telling him not to rap. Can you imagine if the head <laughs> of a of a comedy network was like, you don't have it? Yeah. Yeah. Like like most people will never actually feel that level of rejection mm-hmm. because rejection is, is is especially with social it's sort of a dime a dozen it's like all right you put something out and three people like it and one person hates it and none of them have any connection to you at all the the top boss at a music la- and this didn't happen once it happened five times so five di- there's only like six there's only like <laughs> six major music like so imagine everyone almost everyone that 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 is important not seeing the vision that you have yeah. and you have to you have to go inside yourself and believe past all of that basically past reality now you're you're in a position where maybe you should listen to people once in a while <laughs> but hey listening to people isn't what got you here yeah, right. and i think that that the way that i am is that i feel like I, I have in the in the past, especially in in personal relationships, and all my friends can attest to it. Have looked, and it even I even do it to this day on my podcast. I, you know, I will tell a story that makes me look dumb, but I will still tell it in earnest because I feel like it is more important for a person who I'm. By all accounts, I don't think I'm dumb, but like like it's it's more important important for a. Uh, person who even perceives himself as smart to be willing to look dumb to show people who feel dumb that they aren't dumb if that makes sense yeah, right. and i think that that there's a level to both my attempts at cool and masculinity and stuff like that that sometimes very much work out because i think that i do make things that are fun and i do make things that people can connect with and i think it's through the connection that any sort of coolness comes from but the only reason they can connect to me is because i'm being honest with them in a way that would normally be too embarrassing to to share and so it's it it's the it's the double edged sword of it. It's like I know I'll never seem as cool as a lot of other comics and a lot of other artists because I'm just not. That's not the aura that I put out, and the way that I communicate with people is not that stoic. So yeah, I'll be the guy freaking out. Like I. So even when I there was one time where I uh, was opening for Trevor. Um, in 2019 and we were at this casino in i think it was like hollywood florida or something or we may have actually been in vegas and i got lost in the casino and i and i and i was like so fundamentally lost and i like <laughs> and i and i really thought i didn't cry but i was like i wasn't far because i was lost for a while and then like everyone and i was also handling it poorly cuz everyone that i decided to ask for directions was either very drunk or had want nothing to do with me and i couldn't find the front desk again so i wasn't just lost in that i couldn't <laughs> find the right elevator to get back to my room i was so lost that I was like, it's all gambling. Like I can't, and then there's no clock. And so I started like spiraling out. Then I finally sat down and this is the morning by the way. So like, it's not even at full capacity (laughs) open. 
And so I just sit down with my head in my hands and I'm at this food court that's not open and I'm so hungry and I'm lost. And then finally, Vince August, who was also uh, on the tour opening up, just walks up to, he just walks up to the uh, uh, board that has all the menus on it. And, you know, arms crossed real cool. He's, he's like, he's, he's a fit guy. So he's probably already been on a run or something. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then I, I, I jump up and I'm like, Oh, Vince, thank God. And he's like, thank God. <laughs> and, and then I tell him how lost I've been. I tell him how long I've been down here. And he's like, how, how are you alive? Yeah. But, you know, but I think that sharing a thing like that is, is the thing that makes you, more um because relatable is too is too like bland of a word there are people who are very cool that are actually too cool to feel connection with yeah and i from the beginning of me starting whatever even before i knew it was a career from the beginning of me starting comedy i knew i didn't want to be that because I feel like that is a lonely place for the artist and it's a delusional place for the audience because to a certain degree, everyone is relatable. You just have to know enough about them. But if they don't share enough about themselves and they're just like the cool artists, then you're never going to get there. And and to me, the connection that I have with people after a show or people that message me online and stuff like that is so much more important than them sort of sitting at home quietly being like, that guy is cool. Cause one, I'll never hear it. That's like, <laughs> like, like cool people also never have any idea how cool they are. Because then you're, if you're not approachable, no one will ever approach you to tell you that they think you're cool. So cool people probably think they're like me. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. Does it, does it cost you something to reveal all of these details in which, like, you know, to tell me a story about getting lost in a, in Vegas, in a hotel or, or, you know, some of the other, some of the, some of the other stuff, you know, like that, that one, maybe yeah. not a great example, but does it, does it cost you something? Because I do think that's part of the power of a lot of comedy is that it's almost like you tell a secret and we see that it hurts you to tell. And that's part mm. of why it's so kind of ultra, like you said, relatable is too bland a word, but it's why we get it and see ourselves reflected in it. Does, yeah, does it cost I, you something or have you kind of, have you, do you, is the reward sufficient that actually, like, I suppose what I'm asking is, is there, are there things that are so embarrassing you haven't used them on stage? Yes, but I will. So you know what it is too? I think that the just part of the process of healing from a thing is is that moment when you're willing to share it. And it's something I mean, it's something people do in talk therapy. It's something that people do with their friends or family. It's like, all right, I'm doing my best to get over this enough to share it with you. Now, the the cost is very high. The co- the cost the cost is actually so high that when it bobs, you think about killing yourself. Like it, cuz you know what it, you know what the the emotional equivalent to it is. If you're very very vulnerable in a joke and I'm not even just talking about not getting laughs. If people aren't resonating with you with with the thing about this is going to sound very like uh dumb and crystally and new agey but it it's it's the best way i know how to describe what i'm saying when you are really running a room so not just getting laughs not just like killing mm-hmm. to a certain degree but when people are hanging on your every word and people are resonating with the premise in not not laughing but just they're like 
oh, I never. Okay, that feeling is the closest thing to whatever crystal vibrations people talk about that that they're into or whenever people go on and on about their their sign and whatever rising or descending thing they are that thing is is almost spiritual in a way because you're you as a comedian are both fully in tune with the moment and what you're the next moment that you're getting to you're also fully um accepting of the moment that's just passed so you're in just such deep control you're almost in three places at once in real time being in one place and it's it's not just going well it's like truly an experience right that's the height of comedy it's what i imagine Chappelle feels like every time <laughs> like it, it is it is the height of that expression of art the same way that if you actually made a song that moved somebody to tears and you got to see it while you were playing it it's that but for comedy that is the highest reward and it is it is worth every cost it could possibly take to get there because you're only going to get there as many times as you're going to get there even if you have the very same set and you know this it's like even if you have the exact set that you had last night this might be a different crowd that doesn't vibe that's a little bit more drunk that doesn't care as much about your personal trauma that like you you know what i mean like i've i've done the same set four times in a night running it practicing it and got four different reactions i'm talking about a time that is like it, you were, you never forget when that happens. Mm-hmm. Even if it happened your last set was two hours ago, you never forget when that feeling happens. And that is the reward, and that is more than worth it. But when you are being the same amount of vulnerable that it takes to get to that moment, and there is just nothing. I'm not even talking about not laughs. I'm talking about like, huh? <laughs> that is like, it. it's the emotional equivalent to leaving your phone at home for like a day, like you were like, I'm, I'm going to be late, so I can't, and I just, and then you leave, and then on the way back home, you're like, man, I'm going to have so many missed calls, I got so many text messages, probably, <laughs> people wondering where I am, you know, and then you open the phone, and it's nothing, that's what that feels like, it's like, it's like the, the emotional dump of giving everyone everything and getting nothing is probably the highest price to pay in the other direction, Yeah, you know? It's like, imagine going to therapy and not being interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, oh, hearing your, hearing your therapist tut. <laughs> yeah, your, your, your therapist goes, yeah, it happens to a lot of people. Yeah. And it's the thing that yeah. is like the, the thing that weighs you down, that makes you not be able to have uh, human connection or deep relationships or be able to keep a day job. Whatever that trauma is, you share with a therapist and they're like, yeah, I mean, you know, life is life. You're like, uh, and that's what the the audience can do to you sometimes completely unintentionally. No one pays money to have a bad time at a show on purpose. So that's what makes it, that's what drives the nail it even harder. It's like, oh, you wanted to laugh and I'm, mm. yeah. yeah. Do you, have you become better at dealing with that? I guess you must have, like to end up with the stuff that you've got, you must be able like to find the honesty of the stuff that you, that you have. You must yeah. be able to be, to some extent, impervious to that, or at least willing to risk it every time. Yeah, and I think that the the mindset shifts and changes per set, per time, you're just night that you're getting on stage. 
Because I also think that it's a thing that I have to constantly remind myself to even be looking for. Because you do go in and out of being so obsessed with the jokes being tight and funny that sometimes you almost forget you're performing live. Like, 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 for instance, if I'm, if, if I'm, especially early days, right? So like the early days where I was trying to get a good tape for my first tonight show, I wasn't thinking about human connection. I wasn't thinking about the level of my performance. I I was just like, I'm going to do my jokes, the jokes I wrote, and I hope they laugh loud enough to sound impressive on this tape. That's (laughs) all I cared about. That's all I was. And so it's not necessarily just that I've been a little bit better at the acceptance it's also i had to get familiar enough with comedy and good enough to get to that point like i you know i remember the first night that i hit a stride like a true stride on stage and was like i belong here and this moment is perfect and i'm i'm both experiencing it and controlling it at the same time like just this perfect uh marriage of of like uh free fall and and like gliding you know what i mean and i remember the first time i ever felt that but i also remember it took so long to feel it again not just because i wasn't good enough yet but because i didn't even know what i had done yeah i didn't know why it was that good i knew that the jokes were good i knew the jokes were funny but then i did those same funny jokes the next set and it was fine. They laughed, but it, it didn't feel like the other thing felt. And so I think that um, I am getting better at it, but I'm also becoming more aware, especially now, especially like getting out of a thing where we all could have died. I'm much more mindful that like, yo, I, I have to, I absolutely have to be thinking about that as many times as possible. Sometimes you're doing an outdoor show and everybody's drunk and it's a festival and like, yeah, maybe, maybe that, that esoteric stuff's going to work, but probably not. Probably, you, you know, you might get, you might get some potato salad thrown at you or something <laughs> like, can you, so that, that experience, those you've articulated that really beautifully, that, that the combination of free fall and gliding, what is it that can you put into words what you realized was missing when you were chasing it. Okay. So it is, there's, there's a lot of things about comedy in the moment live that people appreciate. And some of it is confidence. Some of it is just straight up like, you know, um, I got this and you, you as an audience should feel comfortable with where I'm taking you. Because if you don't have that, people are less like. And don't get me wrong; some it's for some people it's part of their act, so it's what makes them funny. So I'm not saying this is a one size fits all thing, but I just think, especially if you're going to say anything that's like lightly even controversial or anything where you're making a definitive statement about something that is you know unconventional, then you you need to have the confidence of someone that means what they're saying, because no one really likes someone. We've all met that that person, not even comic, that person that like says something wild to you and then tries to hide behind a joke, you know, like some, something that says something truly worth punching them for. And they're like, I'm just joking, man. I'm just joking. It's like, no, nobody likes that person. So if you're that person on stage, you're going to get eaten. Nobody likes that person, no matter what country you're doing stand up in, 
everybody hates that person. So you have to make sure that's not how you come off. Like, hey, even if you hate what I'm about to say, I mean it. Mm-hmm. So you can you can hate me if you want to because I mean it. And people respect that more than they respect the whole like I said it and now no takesies, backsies, you know, whatever that thing is. But n- I realized I needed to be confident in what I was saying that both it, that it was both true and funny and then I also needed to have a little bit of a of a let go of the outcome. Uh, when you're reading mm, when you when you're reading like Zen philosophy or when you read like um you know like Marcus Aurelius's writings on on stoicism and everything they're like everything can happen. So, but you know, if your mind is a simulation, put your put your mind through any outcome that can happen. Now that you've put yourself through any outcome that can happen, let one of them happen. It's it's not it's not as if tethering yourself to a specific outcome is going to yield that outcome. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I guess people who believe in the law of attraction would say otherwise, but like like making it so that like I must kill and this is going to kill and I'm going to destroy them. And and it's going to be, you know, they're going to, they're going to call me the next Lenny Bruce. It's like maybe, but also maybe not. And I think that when you hold on too tightly to an outcome, you blind yourself to the other outcomes that are just as uh, beautiful. So, so I think that once I also stopped chasing a specific reaction for every joke, for every moment, trying to recreate it, it, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like a drug, man. It's like, imagine it's one of the things that, that I've, I'm, I'm not going to act like and talk like I know because I've never done drugs before, but it is, it is at least what I've been told by people who have done certain drugs that the first time is this. And because you're not expecting it and because you never experienced it, it's like the best one. And then you're going to have some good times, you know, in and out of that past that but the first one's the most memorable because you weren't you weren't searching for anything you weren't trying to grab anything you were just like hey let's get high and then you and then you got high and it felt how it felt but if you go back and you're like let's get that high again it's like you're either going to overshoot or it's not going to be the same or whatever whereas if you you know and this is this is depending on what drug you're doing but if you just enter it in with a Hey, I want to smoke some weed and get a little high and have a good time. You're going to have a different time than you had the first time, but you might still have as good of a time as you had the first time because even if it's not as strong or even if it's stronger but in another direction, you're 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 opening yourself up to experience and once I started to do that, that's when I got to the point where I was having that occur more often where I was like let me just let me just go up there, be honest with them. The joke, I feel like the joke is written well, so that should do the work for me. And then the rest is up to me being in the moment and me trying to make a connection in real time with people in the audience. And then it started to happen more. And then, you know, you also have to just be mindful. You don't let like career stuff cloud you. And like, cause sometimes I've, I'm not gonna lie. I've been up there before and just been thinking the entire time about like, well, you know, I hope that, this other thing works out it, like I'm almost on autopilot mm-hmm. and and sometimes audiences can feel that and sometimes they can't depends on how good you are at your form of autopilot mm-hmm. like yeah, especially if your autopilot is like talking frantically no one's going to notice you're not there yeah <laughs> right yeah 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 that's I mean I'm really interested I think that's so insightful the the idea of 
of letting whatever happens happen. I've definitely been guilty of that in the part, the opposite in the past of going on, going, I have to achieve a particular outcome. And that's always the enemy of doing good work and the enemy of actually being present in the room and exploring and and what have you. You mentioned, you mentioned um, truth there, as long as it's true. Do you have, are you kind of hung up on your material needing to be objectively true? Are you happy to, uh, take a story and embellish it, find a different ending to it if it's more satisfying as long as there's a grain of truth? Like, where are you on? I think that I'm I'm not as stressed out about that stuff because I feel like people don't necessarily always come to art to imitate life. No, You know, in, in, in real life, in, in a real-life scenario, and this might not be the best example, so I'll just make it several times and you can use whichever one works. <laughs> in real life, uh, Macaulay Culkin and Home Alone would have been shot in the face in the first, like, six seconds. Sure. That's not that, – that's not – there'd be no movie, you know? In real life, James Bond would definitely got hit with a stray bullet. He was shot at too many times to not be full of bullets. Come on, you know? Yeah. I Like, I think that – Sure, the thing that I bring that is interesting is is something that I'm like, guys, this thing happened and it's crazy. But where it lands or certain details or like like okay, for instance, I've I've told stories before, both on my podcast or uh on stage, where there's a detail that could ruin the story for people. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a there's a detail that is true that I just leave out because I'm like, this would ruin it for you. Like, especially I tell a lot of, you know, I find some of the most interesting stories to be underdog stories. Like I consider myself an underdog and I love when underdogs win and stuff like that. And, you know, there's a whole story I could tell you about, like, let's say a a fight that I saw where the person who, the person who won the fight is not who you expected to win the fight. Right. And we're all, we're all happy and we're all cheering for that person in our heads. What I leave out is that that person after winning the fight definitely said a slur. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's like, and it's like, okay, if I wanted to delve into like ultimate truth and then make something out of that, then yes, I'd include that part. But for the story that I'm telling you for what we've created, yo, why do I need to ruin the thing? We were just all rooting for this person and now I'm delivering the news basically. Yeah. 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 Like I think that, you know, and, and that's, that's the difference for me is that like I think that I actually leave out more than I embellish and I embellish only to move the story along because the a lot of the truth is also will make the story too long. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like it's like if I I have plenty of I have plenty of stories in my stand up that are much longer than what I told you. And it would just and I know this because the first like two years that I was doing stand up, I was being too honest and I was telling too much truth. And I was noticing like, all right, this is a five minute story, but at minute four, I lose them. Mm-hmm. So it almost doesn't matter that this, it has this like big splash ending. It's like you, you need, you need situations to wrap up nicely in a lot of art and you know i've told messy stories before that that i felt like were better messier because they because of how crazy they were or because of how confusing my feeling was i was like let me give that confusion to the to the audience as well and that's either going to lead to a laugh or them just being impacted you know so i think that 
embellishment is important to the buttoning up of a of a story and to I think heightening is 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 how you um convey a message more clearly sometimes when you look at the when you look at mythology and like modern day mythology is just like superhero movies right they are the the most heightened version of telling that story so if you want a story about ultimate sacrifice you watch all of the avengers movies so that way at this moment where this person makes the ultimate sacrifice, it means so much. Now the the actual story is so fantastic. It's it's just it's just too much, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. And so, but but someone telling you about the time that their dad pushed them out of the way of a car, and you know, and like took the hit from the car and made that insane sacrifice. That's never going to be as interesting or impactful as. You know Tony Stark, Tony Stark doing the snap. Sure. And so I think that in 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 any art, I think that you take the license and you 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 keep it. You know, you never want to. I I guess you keep your truth in there as the overall thing that 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 holds it to reality. But then, yeah, I think the embellishments, especially if you're trying to convey a certain point, are very important. And I think that people don't really talk about leaving stuff out as much as they talk about embellishment. But I think that leaving things out of the story is a form of embellishment. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. That's a really, that's a really thoughtful answer. I really appreciate that. Which of your peers with whom you started has streaked ahead the most? Is it you? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know. He may have started a little bit before I started, but I feel like we're, I definitely f- see him as a, a peer and still like kind of look up to him like a big brother and everything. So maybe not as much of a peer it, now that I say it out loud, but Chris Red uh, was at yeah. SNL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was also in Chicago while he was in Chicago and he, I feel like was always doing things at least a year before I did them. Yeah. So he was like, you know, he was passed at Laugh Factory and and I think Jokes and Notes and all these other places, Zanies and stuff. And then, you know, I I popped up and I don't even really remember how we met, but we always would chat and I always like really, you know, looked up to him and still do. And then everything that I sort of like, everything that pops then for me is something that he's already, you know, yeah, right. like like been there and done that, but he's always been so supportive and, and so like willing to, uh, give advice or, you know, like be a listening ear for, for something. And, and I always really appreciate that. So he's probably the one that I'm, that I think of when I'm like, eh, it was close, right? Like, <laughs> started around the same time, you know? And is the, is the community supportive in New York at your level? Because I, I sort of, I'm kind of recognizing that the idea of the community kind of changes with generations of comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that it is from my, from, from my perspective only. And I think that we are much more protective of each other than, than people were in the past. And I think a lot of that's through, you know, like social, 
um, like social changes and stuff. So now I think people are much more mindful of like how any sort of marginalized group is being treated at any given moment. But that leads to a lot of people, which I think is good looking out for each other and everything. But I think that the, the other thing I've noticed is that your, I mean, I, I'm even this way when you are in proximity to uh, success and it's success of a person who you've seen work hard and you've seen all their moves, it then works as a blueprint, not necessarily for you to follow exactly, but like this thing does work. Mm -hmm. So I find that people are very supportive in that way where it's, it's, I, all of the competition I'm aware of is friendly. Uh, I know that I'm sure that plenty of comics hate other comics and all this. Stuff. Like I don't really get into like drama with people and stuff, but I know that especially when my special mixtape, anything I've announced in the past year, people have been like overwhelmingly supportive. And I even have friends who I've had like little listening sessions with where I'm like, Hey, can I run two songs by you or something like that? And they're like, yeah, please. I'd love that. So Chicago was deeply supportive in that no one was really there, there's less industry there. So there's less competition for things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, something would come to town and people would be out of sorts for about a week. But past that, everyone was like, Oh, I love that Joe. Keep trying that thing, whatever. New York is a bit more goal oriented and, and career oriented, but I th find that people have been deeply, um, um, I don't want to keep saying supportive because I think it doesn't do the situation justice, but people have been, um, deeply concerned in a positive way with how other people are doing. So not concerned as in like you, you about to, you about to kill yourself. Like, not like that, but like just the general, um, the general way of, of being like, and if you need anything, let me know. That thing is very, you know, I, I, I remember having to write a lot. I had to write a lot in a short amount of time. And people were like, if you want to run any jokes, if you want to come do my show, or if you want to write together, please hit me up. Like that, that's, that's the good thing. And also New York is like full of transplants. So then everyone's got a dream. So everybody's just trying to help each other along, you know? I would love to end on everybody's got a dream because it's a beautiful way to end. <laughs> but what is, what's the upper limit for you? What's, what's the, like, what's the dream gig for you or the dream landscape? Um, I want to, what, what, uh, what Kanye's done for culture, I'd like to do for comedy. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep making mixtapes. I'm going to keep writing both, you know, stand up late night. I want to write. I want to write a little bit of everything. I even want to write award shows. I know some people are, are like down on that or are like not avoid it, but just don't consider it. But it's like I want to do that. So I, I, I would like to keep making, even if they're very slight, I'd like to keep making um game shifting things like what I feel like this mixtape is like I you know that's part of the that's part of the problem with art is that a, in art or in I guess most industries you either have to be first or be best mm -hmm. and so you know and sometimes you get a whole lot of credit for being first that's what Facebook is that's what Bitcoin is like you're the first one there so you're the most recognizable and you're always going to probably be a juggernaut and the most successful but if you're best there's a whole longer more you know 
rough road to go down, but I find that I'm doing a lot of things that I consider the first. So maybe I'll get credit for it. Maybe I won't, but I want to keep doing that. That's the, that's the dream. And, you know, and make lots of money. Money's nice. <laughs> no one ever says that. Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> maybe Americans yeah, say that. Yeah. I don't know. I, no, they don't. I, I don't know why people want to pretend they don't want to make money. Like, I, I would like to make money. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me. Thank you to Josh for appearing on the show. What a joy that was. Um, catch his mixtape. You can find that online. Also, his album, I Like You, on Spotify, which is a brilliant artifact. And also his impending special. I think that has just dropped uh, this very moment. So give him a Google. Check the show notes for all the, the details and his socials. And that was Josh. Thank you so much to Josh for coming along. Thanks to Nathan Wood for editing the show. Uh, the music was by Rob Smouten. Jake Crossland did the logging. And Pete Dobbing is peripherally involved somehow in an increasingly nebulous way um that is all there's a post amble coming at you soon um so feel free to enjoy that and uh let's all get back to our lives that was a good one i feel very inspired now i feel very inspired at the moment and i'll talk to you more about why in just a second bye for now So listen, where to begin? Where to begin with a, a thing? I'm about to I'm about to begin another interview in just 23 minutes, and I think I've done enough research. But it's for someone who writes novels, and uh, it is impossible to be as fully researched as I would like because I do not have time to read several novels. So I'm tense about that, but I will share a little postambular thought with you. Um, I gigged last uh, Friday and uh, it was in the E.M. Forster Theatre, uh, a fantastic comedy gig there in Tonbridge for Lone Star Comedy. And oh my life, it was a joy. Russell Hicks was hosting and uh, you know Russell from this show. He has such a... Um, he's so he's got such a playful spirit on stage and he really enjoys in that kind of school of ross noble way taking things to bits rather than putting them together but what it means is because i really like working like that as well and it was one of the first times the like i've only done sort of six shows back since the the most recent restrictions lifted and they've all had varying degrees of yes but no and um and this one was the first time even though it wasn't sort of continually hilarious it was it was absolutely good enough and some nice people say some nice things afterwards. But the key is that I felt free and I just wanted to talk to you about freedom because one of the things I did this series on LinkedIn of 30 Days of Resilience. I've just finished releasing 30 videos, little kind of almost post-amble videos, little three and a half minute or so things ruminating on certain aspects of resilience to try and grow the business over there, um, over there, you know, over there on a different platform to this. Um, and uh, and one of the things that came up is is freedom for me and how much I value. It's interesting, I think, to look at what is at stake. And, and Amanda Donnick covers some of this in the Self-Help for Comedians special, when, which is on the Insiders feed, when we talked about goals and values. You'll have heard me talk on a post amble a few weeks ago about the kind of recognising that my beliefs were at war with my values. More on that available another time and in the past. But recognizing that something Amanda said was about how you can, if what you want from your job is 
uh, freedom. I don't think this is the example she gave, but it's the one I'm using. If what you want from your job as a comic or as an artist or creative, what have you, is freedom and you achieve a goal that seems like a good goal for your uh, for your job, say you got a regular, you know, twice weekly panel show appearance, then that might be a goal that you wanted, but not a goal that you, but it doesn't serve your kind of meta goal of freedom because it actually might lock you down. So sometimes I think you can see that when people make choices you weren't expecting. If you hear that so-and-so has joined a thing and then left it or or not necessarily sort of politically motivated, but just when people take kind of curveball left or right turns that you weren't expecting in their careers and you go, oh, oh, is that not what was important to that person? It's just quite a sort of a vivid, invigorating, shocky sort of a moment. And I suppose, even though I'm I'm not really approaching those moments right now, the idea that, oh, yes, I have been kind of, I've been moving back, maybe you're the same, I've been moving back towards moments of of feeling like myself on stage. And in one show recently, uh, I... I wasn't like I was ready to do the script, but I wasn't ready to roll with any of the circumstances. And come on, the job of comedy is live comedy is you roll with the circumstances. So I was rusty, not just at the performance, but rusty at the being ready to roll with stuff. And I've sort of been edging show by show closer and closer to what happened last Friday, which is why it was so exciting. I went, oh, the the I am now familiar enough once again, with the older stuff that I say on stage and the newer stuff that I've been writing and thinking about more recently. And crucially, over and above all of those things, under under all of those things, I am familiar enough once again with the idea that I don't need to panic and plan out routines because by now I am a funny person and I can just go on stage and be funny. That was so exciting and locked into one of the core goals for me, which is freedom artistic freedom, creative freedom, and the freedom to say exactly what the fuck I want on stage. And it was interesting then the, you know, not not that I'm, <laughs> not to give you the impression if you haven't seen my stand up, that I'm gonna, I'm gonna get out there and say exactly what I want. The point being, it is, it's, it's like the, the thoughts and the ideas can grow like a garden rather than having to grow like a farm in rows. Is that good enough? Do you know what I mean? It's not that I'm a contentious person at all, but if I want to do some material about the feeling you get when you stare into the ocean, but you sort of can't, it's like a yawn you can't finish. You know, you can't do, you can't connect with the ocean. You can just look at it and go, well, that's that. And it's seemingly infinite and here's me, but I can't articulate anything further. I want material about that. In order to express that material, I have to kind of lay it all out and dive around and play in it on stage. And so I think... What it serves me, it serves me creatively, it serves my creative freedom, this particular gig. And it reminded me that in a world which has been sort of frozen in amber for the last year and a half, I haven't been able, I've never managed to feel that free in a Zoom gig. I've managed to feel that free on Zoom or online gigs on the infinite sofa when hosting. There was a certain amount of freedom and and a kind of constructing a world where I would be constantly poked and prodded by stimuli and enable me to kind of make things up. But just to be back on stage doing what I do, doing what I often don't remember that I do, because I'm so bloody untethered. Do you know what I mean? I always think, and I've tried to write stuff about this, I don't think it's relatable at all. I always feel like however I feel right now is how I feel all the time. 
and I'm constantly magnifying brief moments. Oh, I'm waiting for a bus. God, I'm always waiting for a bus. That's a daft example. But do you know what I mean? Mentally thinking, I'm happy, ecstatically happy. I'm always like this. Life is great. I'm miserable and depressed or anxious about something. God, I spend my whole life feeling those things. To actually be reminded of my favourite state of being on stage and the freedom that it was suffused with was enormously exciting. And I, for the first time in a year and a half, I felt like I feel in the second half of my tour shows where I'm just openly, nakedly doing new stuff and winging it. And oh my God, it was great. And then the next night I emceed at a show and had a great time and was funny but didn't have the freedom because when I MC, I'm too busy worrying about setting it up right for the next act and not being self-indulgent and not overrunning and those sorts of things. And as a result, I don't get to indulge myself and the indulgence, you know, the freedom is an indulgence. So it was really interesting to go, oh, have I fallen out of love with MCing now? I mean, on the basis of what? <laughs> One go back at it. Um, I really felt like, oh, I think I'm clarifying what my goals are and recognising that emceeing isn't in step with my goals as much as a set. So obviously some people have got a preference for one or the other. Most of us prefer sets, I think. Some people prefer to emcee. But it was the language through which I managed to articulate that to myself, changing and developing. That was the exciting thing for me. There we go. That was that was almost coherent. God, maybe all that practice on LinkedIn has made a difference. That'll be uh, me for now. That'll be me away. Cheerio. <laughs> that's apparently how I that's how I finish podcasts now. So that'll be me away. <laughs> that's something like a little tiny sugarly Scottish superhero. So that'll be me away. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.